You are listening to Rites of Passage, a reconciliation podcast brought to you by Chapter One and the Kitchener Public Library. Welcome to Rites of Passage, a reconciliation podcast. During this episode, we discuss the myth of Kanda, territorial acknowledgements, the open secret regarding the unmarked graves of Indigenous children, and breaking that silence. We talk about how we can support each other through the revealing of the true history of Canada, the legacy of colonialism, and how we build meaningful relationships to ensure a better future for all of our children. Now ago, Sanguandiso, Sanguaguinohano, Nate de Atenuadado, Nate Unguisoa, Etono Yuduhage, Nate and Guatnicura. So the first part of that prayer I said in Kyuga. And I said, thank you very much, Creator, for giving us things to be thankful for. And then the second part, I said in Mohawk, and I said that I wanted to acknowledge people, all people, all the people here today helping out with this podcast, all the people that impact our lives um, in great ways and sometimes challenging ways. You know, we need to acknowledge those challenging opportunities as well, because those are the, those are when we get to learn and grow, right? So when people present challenges in our lives, we have to embrace them and, you know, move forward, such as truth and reconciliation, right? So, um, so yeah, that was my prayer that I started with. And um, so over our last few episodes of this podcast, we've talked about like historical content, uh, construction of Canada, you know, treaties prior to, um, Canada or prior even to colonization. We talked a bit about, you know, the Indian residential schools and other things that are happening within uh, society in regards to Indigenous um, focused issues. Yeah, and I think today we're going to move into talking more about reconciliation and ways forward or things that we've seen people doing and, you know, and things that we've been doing and hopefully be able to provide some guidance for people that want to move things forward in a good way for the betterment of our future generations. So, so my name is Kelly Fran Davis. I'm Haudenosaunee and Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. My Ongwe Homeway name is Heyo Tandok. It means rites of passage, hence the name of our podcast. Um, And it's, yeah, the edge of the field before the forest. So I'm going to now turn it over to my esteemed colleague and great friend, Dr. Stephen Svensson, and he's going to give us a little more um, context of the podcast that we've been doing and what we're hoping more to do, I guess. Thank you, Kelly, for that very kind introduction. (laughs) Um, It's good to see you. You know, I I know that the last week has been really difficult uh, for Indigenous peoples all across uh, so-called Canada, and I think it's been difficult for many Canadians as well who've who've found out that their country isn't really 
what they think it is, and and they struggle with that. You know, we grow up with the myth of Canada, and um, that there's a reason why it is a myth of Canada because there's a lot of things that aren't real about it, and that the reality of Canada. And what we like to imagine it is are really two different things. And I think the discovery of the two uh, the, the 215 children that were buried at the Camelot Residential School uh, demonstrate that once again. Um, and just, just a note to everyone that this was a kind of an open secret. Like the, there's going to be a lot more of these bodies that are found in these, in these residential schools. And it's horrific because what it points to for me is the absolute disregard with which the colonial state of Canada treated and ha- and continues to treat Indigenous peoples. Um, the discovery of the 215 children at the Camus Residential School hit me hard. Uh, I grew up on the traditional territory of the Sequimic in the in the North Okanagan Shuswap, and um, growing up, I would have rode the bus with many of uh, many children who uh, whose ancestors would have attended that school. And uh, no doubt some of them uh, perished at that school. And so for me to, to think about that and to think about the environment that I grew up in, which within the educational system in particular, was oriented towards erasing any of that knowledge, you know, to the point that I wrote my first published work in grade, in grade seven about the North one half and the North one quarter of section 12, which was the piece of land that I grew up on. And it was published in the North Okanagan Historical Society Journal. And not once do I mention the indigenous peoples in that little piece that I wrote, you know? And and so that erasure has happened. It continues to happen. It happened through our education system. It happened through our social networks. It happened through the edicts of Canada. Um, And we're having to face that now, you know? And, and I am hopeful with what I've seen. Uh, I've seen a lot of silence online from people that I grew up with, but I've seen some people speak up about it. We've talked recently also about how people may not know how to speak about it. And I think those are some of the things that we want to talk about today. You know, how can we speak about this, particularly as folks that come from a settler colonial background? How can we talk about this? Uh, and how can we move forward and address this and support Indigenous peoples in getting justice? Uh, we have spoken in previous podcasts, as, as Fran has pointed out, um, about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, about different ways that treaties, um, historical treaties like the two-row wampum, how they might have shaped the relationship, and in particular from Indigenous peoples, that is the way the relationship should be with Canada. We've talked also about territorial and land acknowledgements as well, and uh, how they've become an important part of acknowledging Indigenous peoples within so-called Canada, and how we can improve upon those. So we've mentioned those those things as well. And I think today, again, uh, we're going to keep building on that knowledge and understanding. Um, in particular, I think I want to mention a few things about how, as a settler, we can go on to do this work in, in the context, especially of the 215 and the countless thousands of other children that are buried at residential schools across so-called Canada and how um, they never made it home. Thanks, Stephen. This is why I love to work with you is because you're, you're very honest and open where, you know, um, a lot of it, non-Indigenous people have this 
you know, this fear, this silence that happens for them, right? And they, I don't want to say they, but a lot of indigenous, non-Indigenous folks I've noticed and Indigenous people have this silence about, you know, the truths that are continuing to come out across Canada and in regards to Indigenous or Indian residential school system and, and the TRC and, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And, you know, that silence is something that Stephen and I and a few others were talking about earlier is, you know, that can be very problematic in the work that we're hoping to do and a lot of people are hoping to do with reconciliation work, right? And and I think what we've identified and I can probably agree on is that silence comes from a place of true, authentic humanity. It comes from a place that, unfortunately, in this country, in the colonial structures, has been eliminated from a lot of the systems, a lot of the processes, a lot of the, you know, um, education system definitely, is that part about talking about ourselves and talking about our feelings and, and being able to reflect on the information that we just learned about. So yeah, it's a it's a very important piece, I feel, throughout this process, you know, throughout the work that we're continuing to do with reconciliation, is we definitely have to, you know, help each other, because it's not just one or the other, or it, it's people are having a hard time to be authentic, and to be able to voice their feelings and thoughts, because, you know, out of, out of, good reason i i like to believe is people don't want to offend anybody they don't want to further hurt or harm anybody so they're better to like okay i'm not going to say nothing and you know i've i did some training recently with some leadership within a region and we had one lady that was like basically why can't we just get over it and move on and i was like okay and so I started to pray because I needed to respond and I needed to respond in a good way because this woman had come to my training to learn and to do something good. So she came with all good intention, but what she said could have been very harmful and very problematic. So I don't want to push her away and say, you're wrong and don't ever come back or something like that. I want to embrace and engage everybody with whatever the reality is. So um, she had went on to say, you know, like people need to do this and that and do their healing. And, and let's, she said, she said the word, she said, I don't want to say get over it, but we need to move forward somehow. And I said, well, I would just caution you in speaking from any place else, but yourself, whatever your realities are, you know, whatever it is, you need to move forward. But I will caution you to advise or suggest to somebody else what they need to do and how they need to do it. And that is something that we all have to humble ourselves with. We can't assume that we know what anybody else needs. There's no formula. There's no prescription of how we get through this work. So we all got to take our time and, and, you know, not be in this rat race that the colonial structures have created, a society of, okay, boom, 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 time is money, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's not a humane way to do things. 
So, yeah, I think that one of the biggest steps we need to do is we need to be patient and we need to say, okay, this is really horrible. Maybe it's going to take me a month or a year or a week to process what I just learned. Maybe it's going to take me that long. I don't know, but I'm going to focus on what I need and I'm going to support whoever's working with me in what they need to. So that's what I wanted to talk a bit about that silence. And, and I think we talked a bit about, you know, the grieving that goes on with this discovery of the, you know, the mass grave of the 250 Indigenous children at the Canloops Residential School. Yeah, we need to talk about that grieving because this is, this is a grieving that's happening for people. No matter the color of their skin, their age, their gender, nothing. It's just people are grieving because that is really horrible. That's inhumane, it's unconceivable. When I was growing up and I was young and you know we lived close between Niagara and Six Nations, Six Nations is my home territory. But um, yeah, we grew up hearing stories about children being buried at the mush hole, which was nicknamed the mush hole. At the time it was called the Mohawk Institute, but now it's called the Woodland Cultural Center it's in Brantford, Ontario. And yeah, I remember people telling us and older people in our community saying there's children buried by that residential school, by the Mohawk Institute, by the Mohawk Chapel down the road. And now what they had turned into what they call Kanata Village, all along that whole Mohawk Road, they call it in Brantford. They said there's children buried. They bury children there. And, you know, as a young person, I thought, no, that, that can't be possible. People can't just kill children and bury them and, and just get away with that, right? Like, I couldn't conceive that in my mind. But at the same time, I felt conflicted because these are people that I love and value and, and hold in esteem that are telling me these stories, right? So I'm like, there's got to be truth to that, you know? So it was a, it was really is a real struggle to to grasp all of that and you know when they made that discovery it was like confirmation for me unfortunately those stories i'm sure are very true i know the elected band council chief mark hill is um looking to have the the mohawk institute former mohawk institute woodland culture center grounds perhaps the mohawk chapel in Kanata village perhaps all of that ground i hope to also look for unmarked graves. Your words sort of made me reflect, well, what are people grieving, you know? And obviously for Indigenous peoples, it's the ongoing grief that comes with being treated inhumanly by the colonial state and by uh, and by settlers. And, but mostly, you know, it's funny, I, I was reading again, once again, the memorial to Sir Wilfrid Laurier, which was a document that was written by the chiefs in 1911, and the chiefs were of the Okanagan or Sioux, um, the Sequekmek or Shushwap, and the the Thompson people. So the the territory that I come from, and in that document they talk about you know wanting redress, and they don't blame settlers. They say you know for most parts that the settlers have come and have tried to improve the land, and we we've worked well with them. But what they have what they do say in that document is that the settlers have a responsibility to make their government accountable so that indigenous peoples are treated well and 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 get a fair deal you know i mean that's the language that they use uh in that document and of course it's it's written to kind of get a response and i mean and what happened with that document well 
Laurier went back. He didn't get reelected. Who knows if there would have been some action taken or not? I don't know. Um, but the document sort of gives the context for what settlers should do. And I think settlers right now, they're not so much grieving um, Indigenous peoples. I mean, I'm not, I mean, first myself, certainly, you know, I mean, I have many rich friendships with with indigenous peoples uh, all across Turtle Island, and and I have relations that are in, that are indigenous as well. That you know that uh, this is impacting them very strongly. So I feel it, and I I don't want to say that not a lot of uh, white people care in the sense that they want to grieve for indigenous peoples. But I think when we talked about silence a little earlier, I think the silence is connected to grieving the loss of their vision of what Canada is. And so what we're seeing now is trending and what will be trending is cancel Canada Day. I gave up on Canada a long time ago. You know, it's not something I base my identity on anymore. You know, I think I, I've, I just see it as fundamentally what it is, which is a colonial state that was uh, founded on the genocide of indigenous peoples and the destruction of the natural environment. Okay, that's fine. We can say that. I have no problem saying that. And I think, let's be honest, that's what it is. It's, it's not that Canada doesn't do good things or hasn't done good things, um, but we need to adjust our vision of what it is. And that may take, take some silence and it might take some, it's going to take grief and it's going to take mourning. And then if we want to live in a good country, then we need to do things like address what is asked of Canada and what is asked of Canadians in the truth and reconciliation's calls to action. You know, so some of those things have been fulfilled. So the idea of territorial acknowledgements, right? Those things, uh, those are kind of the easy steps, you know, and we've talked in, in past broadcasts about ways of doing land acknowledgements and territorial acknowledgements in a stronger way that don't just kind of rubber stamp or give us a checkbox that we can sort of check off and say, okay, we've done our due diligence here. Let's move on. You know, this is an ongoing project, you know, that we all need to be involved in. You know, I mentioned the, the idea of kind of going up north and then going into new territories. You might be doing camping, fishing or camping or something like that, and acknowledging the people that are there, dropping in, you know, check out and see if it's okay first, but drop in and say, you know, thank you for having me on your territory. Maybe even offer a gift. But th I think those things are more the easy things to do. Maybe they're not, but I think they're easier things. They're human things to do. Harder things to do are to fulfill things like the church needing to make an apology to Indigenous peoples. And that's come up this week. And the Pope has not made an apology to Indigenous peoples in Canada. And that is right in the TRC. The church needs to make an apology. So what, what I would say, what are we going to do in terms of con if, if concrete actions? If you're a part of any church organization, particularly the Catholic Church, take your Take your church to task. Pull your money out of it. You know, don't tithe anymore until, you know, I mean, what's, I mean, what's the point if you've got a pontiff who's not going to do the most basic human thing and acknowledge that what the Catholic church did was wrong? I mean, for me, it's kind of like, what's the point of belonging to that organization? Maybe 
choose a different Christian organization to belong to. I don't know. You know, these are these are things that they come to me, and I might get a lot of flack for that, right? But you know, this is fundamental, an apology for what was done in largely Catholic schools and Anglican schools as well. You know, one of the things I am proud of in my own history and my own ancestors is my uncle, yeah, James Williams. And and my uncle Jim was a deeply Christian man. They never preached. I never heard a lot of preaching around uh, this is my grandmother's brother um, around when I was growing up. What I saw was a lot of examples of how to treat people. And they were good people and they were good, shall we say, Christian people. And one of the things that I'm proudest of is that my uncle spent his retirement years advocating for Indigenous peoples and for justice for Indigenous peoples. And so he was at the 1960 or 1996 Royal Commission on, on Aboriginal Affairs and testified uh, in Victoria, you know, and, and, and made advance. And he was largely responsible also for returning the artifacts that the Anglican Church had stolen from Indigenous peoples, the Nishka on the Northwest Coast, he was largely responsible for having those artifacts returned. So those kinds of acts of reconciliation, restitution, those are the kinds of things that people have been doing and that we can continue to do and that are part of truth and reconciliation. Now, I'm, I'm going on. I mean, what did we see recently? We saw Egerton Ryerson, who's the architect of residential schools uh, yesterday. We saw Egerton Ryerson statue toppled and they're not going to replace Egerton Ryerson. I mean, that symbolically is very, very strong. There's going to be, there is a movement to change the name of Ryerson University that's going to happen, you know? There's, there's so there's really powerful things that are happening. I've been getting emails from friends and texts from friends saying, you know, I don't know what to do but I want to do something. And I think that uh, at the end of this podcast, or with this, when we post this podcast, we'll make sure that we have a bunch of links of really good organizations that people who want to give money to or donate time or promote can, can do that. I think that's kind of one of the ways that people can feel if they want to give voice to things, they can feel that they can do that in a good way and make a positive impact. So those are just a few of my thoughts, Fran about what's happened over this last week and how it connects to this ongoing project of truth and reconciliation. My mind goes in many places when you talk about, you know, the the silence, the grieving, the mourning, and, you know, what some of those reasons could be for non-Indigenous folks. And I get it. I, I try to get it, I should say, because I can't possibly get it. I'm not I'm Indigenous. I'm not non-Indigenous. You know, all my relatives are from Six Nations, all my ancestors. You know, I understand or I'm compassionate. Um, I want to say I'm compassionate. I'm compassionate to non-Indigenous people not wanting to, you know, change, make changes to their reality, to the realities and the ways of doing things that has been you know, going on for generations, right? But I, I, I understand if I grew up in a certain way and things went my way and if they didn't go my way and things were set up and changed to go my way and that's what I'm used to for generations. I've seen that with my parents and I've seen that with my grandparents. 
But when you grow up and see that is the way things are, you know, why it, it would be hard to say, well, yeah, I, I like that. That suits me well. <laughs> you know, that process, those realities suit me well. And they'll will suit my children well, my grandchildren well. So I get that. I get that it's hard to to think that I may have to give up what benefits me and what I enjoy in my life. And that like I said, that might not be the reality with with decolonizing institutions or structures. It might not be that anybody has to give up anything, but it, it definitely needs to change so that we have equity, so that we have diversity and we have inclusion. That's all the basis for humanity, right? Like a good humane society is where everybody's needs are met and whatever that is, whether they want to be a rocket scientist or whatever. Yeah, if they want to, they should be able to do that whatever they want to do in life. If they want to be an environmentalist and help with the stewardship of the land, if anybody, no matter who they are, wants to do that, they should be able to do that and very easily and not challenging and not always constantly having to jump through hoops and jump over, you know, boulders and and try to, you know, knock down all these walls. And that is the reality for Indigenous people. There's a misconception that, you know, we get all our education paid for and we get this and we get that. It's not true. And I can say that through my own experience, that whenever I'm trying to do something, it doesn't just go smoothly. It never goes smoothly. But other things happen, you know, other realities come into play. And it's like, wow, I need to, you know go to counseling for six months to get over that or to make sense of that or to reflect on that before I can continue on to do the work that I want to do. You know, that that's an Indigenous reality. And then trying to go to school. No, our bands are given trust funds. You know, there's trust funds in Canada and our bands are supposed to access that money to be able to access to help us post-secondary, to help with health, to help with services, programs, and stuff. And it's never anything comparable to what the average Canadian would receive, you know, or or mainstream institution or agency would receive per person. Like just one little example I'll give is our schools, our schools on reserve. We only receive federal funding. Our schools on reserve do not receive provincial funding. You know, they don't receive a lot of things, but they say, well, you're in charge of your schools and and we're in charge of a lot of things. And it's usually parents or very dedicated teachers that go above and beyond and volunteer and create resources and, you know, all these things. So that's just one example. But I think we've gone on to a whole new topic with this. Yeah, Fran, thanks thanks for that. I'm going to try and turn it back to this idea of what can we do? And I know the reality that you live. And I understand the challenges. I don't experience the challenge. I mean, obviously, there's challenges that we have in common. But I don't have the legacy of colonialism that impacts my life in the way that it impacts yours. And all the challenges that you experience that I see and that you confide in me too. I mean, these are 
things that are products of colonialism, they're legacies of colonialism. And that, I think, is what most uh, Canadians don't really understand. Uh, I think that if you can think of anything that's true, the one way to empathize is just think of any kind of trauma that's happened to you in your life and how that's impacted you. And then think about that trauma being multiplied hundreds, hundreds of times over generations, and and that this is what many Indigenous peoples are kind of dealing with uh, in an ongoing way. And so it's challenging. It's challenging. And so then again, to, to turn it back to the responsibility of settler colonial, settler European folks and more recent arrivants and newcomers to Canada. I mean, for arrivants and newcomers to Canada, often they're also fed the myth of Canada, right? And Canada seems pretty good compared to a lot of places that folks are coming from, which also have experienced a colonial reality. Uh, and again, there are some, some, there's some good things about Canada. I don't want to completely throw Canada under the, under the bus, so to speak. Um, but the big black eye on Canada is that we, uh, as a colonial state, have treated Indigenous people terribly. We've stolen their land. I mean, so I encourage everybody who's, who's listening to dig into the history you know, get into the real history of what happened in Canada. And that stuff is coming out now, you know, and especially in the area that you live in. That's important, right? I think it's really important that you have an understanding of the colonial history, not only of Canada, but in particular of the area in which you live in. And that will better situate you to engage in action and also have that kind of common understanding with uh, indigenous peoples about what what went on. So for me, fundamentally, uh, growing up in in uh, the traditional territory, the Sequimic, having that memorial to Sir Wilfrid Laurier from 1911, that document is fundamental in shaping my understanding of what colonial relations are and of how that land theft occurred. I mean, and often it occurred, some of it occurred by starvation, uh, some of it occurred at, at gunpoint, some of it occurred at negotiation, but that negotiation was linked into starvation. And some of it was just false promises that were made and broken, you know. And, and so I see all that when I read that memorial to Sir Wilfrid Laurier. You know, I don't know, in some ways, I know quite a bit about the area that I live on as well, the Haldeman Tract. So if you're in Kitchener-Waterloo, you know, what's the history of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the neutral peoples in this area? You know, dig into that, find out what, what that's going on. Um, find out about the Haldeman Tract and how it's gradually been sold off in different sorts of chunks um, to developers. You know, it's one of the reasons why we have land back 1492. The There's colonial forces that have allowed that and forced that to happen. And, and, and so that there's very little land that's been left for Indigenous peoples in this, in this area. So that's kind of a big part of what people can do is grab onto the history. People should also look at the TRC. You can find it online. What are the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Where might my qualities or my expertise fit in there? And how can, you know, how can I do that? You know, what are the organizations that are doing good work? Uh, what are they and how can I support them? You know, those are all things that uh, settler, settler Canadians can, can do. But more importantly, Fran, I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to ask you, you know, what, what can we do? 
you know, as, as Canadians, how can we support Indigenous peoples in their justice and in fulfilling the, the calls to action of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission? Yeah, I wish I wish there was like an easy answer to that. <laughs> and I know that you know there isn't, but I you know, I would encourage everybody that calls this home, this country home to get to know the indigenous people, get to know whose land was there, know the history of where you're living, you know, make connections with the local indigenous communities because there's you know, communities all over this country. Um, for KW, the local indigenous communities are about an hour west drive from KW, and it's Six Nations of the Grand River and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations. So they both have websites, they both have, you know, um, well, Six Nations I know has tourist opportunities. You know, I always encourage when I do trainings with people and encourage people to Look at your counterparts at Six Nations or at Mississaugas of the Credit, First Nations, you know, because we have a lot of work going on in both of those communities in terms of programming, services, post-secondary, you know, community events. There's, it, it's, those are communities. They're no different than an off-reserve community in terms of the work that they're doing, too. I think those are kind of bare minimum things that I would think it was, should start is, you know, we have to start this relationship building. We have to, at a grassroots level, start to build relationships. That's what reconciliation is. We can't sit back and wait for the government to dictate what needs to happen because the government obviously doesn't know. <laughs> There's, you know, these institutions are set up in ways to divide, you know, and to keep people divided. And we need to just take action for ourselves and get to know our neighbors and get to develop relationships with the local Indigenous people. There's urban Indigenous people, lots in KW. <laughs> There's a lot of urban Indigenous uh, people in, in the KW area that they work all over you know, at the institutions, the post-secondaries, they work at the social services agencies, the banks, the Tim Horn, everywhere. So yeah, I would just encourage people to build those relationships because that's what I see as the fundamental problem. So yeah, I think those are some of the things we can start with. And then, you know, some of the stuff that Stephen and I have done previously together is like education, right? We go into each other's classrooms. We do the, we've done the blanket exercise, which I'm trying to develop more of a virtual opportunity to do that, um, to do that type of activity, but it's really challenging. But it's, yeah, do we mostly do educational things or Maybe it's, you know, we build relations, we, we interact with each other's families and have parties together pre-COVID, of course, and hang out and eat together and talk and play and whatever, right? So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, it's by virtue of my position that I, I think as a at university, but also a long history of involvement for about 30 years that... Um, I've developed relationships with Indigenous peoples in, in the KW area. 
often there's a real demand. There is a demand for people to have relationships with indigenous peoples, right? And the reality is, is there's not enough indigenous peoples to go around. And you can burn out the indigenous peoples in the area with demands. And so that's something to be... Uh, you know, to be mindful of, and and not not all people are as lucky or as as honored as I am to have so many great friendships with with Indigenous peoples. So, in in the absence of those kind of face to face opportunities, like how do we? I guess the question I would have is how do we how do we build those relationships? And I guess a lot of it has to do with supporting Indigenous peoples' content, reading Indigenous peoples' literature. You know, watching Indigenous film productions, Indigenous-led, properly Indigenous-led led film productions. And I know that we're, we're working through a lot of that as a nation right now, but I think those are all the ways that we become familiar with each other. You know, a lot of it, too, is to create a mindset that, you know what, this is so new and it's so different to a lot of people, and just be okay to not only have patience, but to accept that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up a lot in this type of work, but it's okay. As long as we bring our good intentions, you know, to it, to whatever the work that we're going to do or we want to do, as long as we bring our good intention and our good minds and our good hearts, you know, accept that, yeah, we're going to screw up. We're going to make mistakes, but, you know, we, we can work through it. We can get through it right together as long as we stick together and you know build those relationships where we can say hey Stephen I really didn't like when you did that or I didn't like when you said this you know like we can have those relationships right that's it's healthy you know doing nothing is not good like you know you don't want to get to where you're so overwhelmed and you're once like, again thank oh you for joining goodness, us i don't know in our next episode we'll discuss the idea of canada as myth the value of territorial and land acknowledgement and the open secret of the unmarked graves of indigenous children we'll also talk about how we can work together to take action for a better future right for at least if you do something and you screw up you've already started to develop a relationship right so it's better just to jump in and hit the ground running and and just pray a lot. That's what I do. <laughs> I pray a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, and it certainly helps to have have guidance and how to to navigate these relationships and the kinds of actions that we can take. You know, and again, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has calls to action that act as a guide, and how we implement those those uh, calls to action on the ground. I guess that's another question, but I think at the end of this podcast, for people that are listening to this podcast, please do look at the links below or that are on the podcast uh, site to see how you might do some of these things in a more practical way. Because we're human, we can always find a common ground, right? And when we can find a common ground, we can build from there. So what is our common ground? Hopefully, uh, for me, I always say, well, as long as we're all working towards improving the future, improving things for the next children, all of our children, then there's our common ground. Well, let's build from there. Fran, I just wanted to reiterate, you know, your last words, which were really, this is fundamentally about future generations. We both have kids, you know, and uh, our kids are friends. They, you know, they, 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 that's cool. You know, I, I love that about uh, our families is that they're, they're friends. They fish together. They hang out together. Um, it's awesome. And 
and really it is about the kids it's about a, a better future for the kids it's about a renewed relationship between the people that are inhabiting turtle island and and this really is for the children whether it be climate the climate crisis or indigenous peoples in canada it's about a future for all children that's livable that where we are hopefully making things better you know than than what came before and there's a lot of work that we have to do in that regard and yeah so i appreciate you bringing it back to that focus on the on future generations yeah so i guess we're going to close out for today and um and I just wanted to say thank you all for joining us. You could have been doing a lot of things today, you know, but you chose to listen to me and my friend here, Dr. Svensson. I hope that you can take something away from this podcast that will help you in your understandings or the work that you do or being instrumental and creative for our future generations. So, so again, I just said thank you very much for giving us things to be thankful for to our higher power, whether we say creator, God, Buddha, whatever. And then also just acknowledging people and giving thanks that we have people in our lives and asking that we, you know, carry our good minds together. You've been listening to Chapter One, the podcast series of the Kitchener Public Library. Join us next time for the unique and diverse voices of the Waterloo region.